I, I usually do a Bible Q&A every three months, two months, but it's been like five months, six months almost. So I did one last Sunday, and then after that, I think I only got to eight questions last Sunday. After that, the seniors were asking, you know, we only have two Sundays left, you know, two, three Sundays left, and most of your questions come from us. So can you answer our questions before, before we move down to young adults? So, so we're going to do that. Okay, we're going to do more Q&A this morning, and then, Lord willing, we'll be back in Mark next Sunday in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 15, 14. So, here's the first question. Oh, by the way, make sure you have your Bible, your notebook if you're a note taker, and um, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of things. I'm going to try to cover more than what I covered last Sunday, so lots of questions. But a lot of these questions are really, really good, and I have a lot to say about them. So, so make sure you're taking fast notes, and it, whatever you miss, you can, you can ask me later. I'll send, I'll send it to you. So here's the first, first question. Can you explain Matthew 23, verses 9 and 10? And I don't remember who all these questions came from. Matthew uh, chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. Okay. Matthew 23, verse 9. Now, when you're, when you're asking about passages, okay, let, let's say you're reading your Bible, and you may have a question about what you just read, or it, it might be confusing to you or difficult to interpret, um, what I suggest is you, you keep reading the verses before and the verses after, and then you keep reading the chapter, and then you keep reading the book. I know that takes a lot of work. You know, the temptation is, oh, I don't know what that means. Keep going. You know, I have a Bible reading plan. I got to finish in two years. No. Do, I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to understand every single verse before you move on to the next book that you want to read. <laughs> it doesn't mean that. But if there's a, a passage that, that you really want to know what it means, Read the verses before, read the verses after. If that doesn't help with the clarity, read the whole chapter. If that doesn't help, read the whole section. If that doesn't help, read the whole book. Okay? So here in Matthew chapter 23, uh, the question is about 9 and 10. What, is that, what does that mean? Um, I would say let's just start reading in verse 1. Okay, look at verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, so this is what he told them, the scribes and the Pharisees, remember them, they're, they're the religious leaders, okay, the hypocrites, experts, but not saved. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, just the authority of, of, in, the, of in the synagogue, their ch- churches back then. So they have seated themselves in the chair of Moses, not the physical chair of Moses from, you know, thousands of years ago, but it just means authority. Therefore, all that they tell you, do, not, uh, do and observe, because they, they were giving them Bible content, right, truth, so do those things, but do not do according to their deeds. Don't follow their examples. Why? For they say things and do not do them. You know, leaders do that today, unfortunately. Pastors still do this today. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, not 
physically, not literally, but you know, all the extra laws that they were given in people, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They don't, they don't even you know, want to do the things that they're telling people to do. Verse 5, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. So they were really after um, being noticed by people, you know, being people of authority, people of, of renown, smart people. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. I won't get into those things, but out, uh, external looks. You know, it'd be like, you know, they have such long neckties. Man, and their suits are just starched to the, you know, to the core. Like, they look really spiritual. It'd be something like that, you know. They, they really tucked in their shirts nice and tight. You know, they look so spiritual. It'd be just external things. Verse 6, why do they do that? Why do they focus on the externals? Why do they tell people to do stuff and not do them themselves? Verse, verse 6, they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues. They, they just love attention and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi or teacher you know, or pastor or doctor. You know. They love those titles. Verse 8, but, but do not be called, so now he turns, right? So this is Jesus talking to the crowd and the, the, the disciples, right? He just got done telling them, hey, this is what a fake spiritual leader look like, like the scribes and the Pharisees, fake. They're not humble. If you want to summarize all those verses, verses 1 through 7, they're not humble. They're proud. They love the approval of men. They love being noticed. That's the fake spiritual leader. Now you look at verse 8, there's a what? In grammar, what, what is that word? A noun, a pronoun, adverb, conjunction, right? So this is, this is the contrast. So don't be like the fake leaders, like the scribes and the Pharisees, not humble, but proud. But, so he turns to the disciples, do not be called rabbi yourself. I think this is the question from, from this person. Do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher. See how it's capitalized, that's Jesus. And you are all brothers, meaning you're not over other people just because you're disciples, just because you're the 12. It doesn't mean that you're over people like the scribes and the, and, and the, and the um, Pharisees are doing. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father. Now, it doesn't mean that when you go home today, you don't call your father, father, or your dad, dad, and say, oh, Ma Matthew 23 says that. You're no longer my, I can't even say it. You know, I'll spell it, F-A-T-H-E-R. You can't even say that anymore. No, it's not, it doesn't mean that. Again, Jesus is contrasting fake leaders who are proud versus true leaders who are what? Humble. That's, that's the lesson here. That's the lesson here. Do not be called, you know, don't, don't want to be called teacher. Don't, you know, don't call anyone your, your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. That's, that's God. So he's saying your teacher is really Jesus and your father is really God the Father. Verse 10, do not be called leaders yourself, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Here, here comes the, the lesson here in verse 11. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, like the scribes and the Pharisees were doing, 
shall be humbled or brought low, put down. And whoever humbles himself, what Jesus is telling the disciples to do, shall be exalted. So it's all about humility. It's all about humility. It's not literally saying that, you know, that you don't call your, your biological dad, dad. It's just saying you, you're really not that b- much better just because you're a disciple or a Christian. Your, your, your primary teacher is Jesus Christ. You learn from him. Your, 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 your father from all, uh, for all eternity is God the Father. You worship him. And your leader is Jesus Christ. You follow him. That's, that's how you become more and more humble. So good, good question. Main lesson is what again? Humility. humility. Be humble. Be humble. Don't, don't be proud like the bad example. Number two, should you obey the government if you believe that what they are doing is wrong? Okay, let me repeat the question because I started answering this question and I'm like, I don't think this is what this person is looking for. <laughs> you know, when, when you do a Q&A, make sure you only answer what's being asked. <laughs> and if you don't know the answer to what's being asked, don't, don't give an answer that the person is not asking. Um, so should you obey the government if you believe that what they are doing is wrong? The simple answer is yes. It's yes. Here's an example, okay? Uh, a lot of companies today support Planned Parenthood, okay? Uh, a lot. A lot. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to name all of them. Some of them put it publicly. Some of them don't. But does that mean that, that you know, like PayPal, right? Does that mean that if somebody sends me, you know, last week I was getting $25 from people for, for a gift, uh, through PayPal, does that mean that, oh, guys, just give me cash, please. I can't use PayPal because they're doing something that is wrong. No, no. Guess what? All, the government will always be what? Before Jesus Christ comes and sets up his government, all of the government in the United States, in the Middle East, in Asia, in the Philippines, all of the government before Jesus Christ comes back will always be and has always been what? sinful. So what can you expect and what should you expect from sinful governments, sinful companies, and sinful institutions? Wrong things. Yes. There you go. Yes. So, so yes, that's, that's kind of my, that's, that was my primary answer. I'm like, well, this person is just saying they're doing wrong things. Well, you know, you still obey the government. They do a lot of wrong things right? They do a lot of wrong things. We do a lot of wrong things. Me as a dad, I do a lot of wrong things, and Toby still needs to obey and honor me, <laughs> right? So now, yeah, the simple answer is yes, okay? The simple answer is yes. Now, if they're asking you to do wrong things, then the simple brief answer is, is no, you don't do them. But I think here's the rub. Who gets to define the wrong thing? God does. The Bible does. Okay? So when I've been asked this before, okay, um, taxes, right? I'm not going to pay my, this person's not saying he's not going to pay his taxes, but should I pay my taxes because a part of that now is going to go to these wrong things? Well, I said, well, who gets to define if those things are wrong? You know, because sometimes a wrong thing to us is just a preferential thing. You know, they're just a preferential thing. 
Um, they're spending more money on this versus education. Well, that's just a preferential thing. That's not a sinful thing. That doesn't make it wrong in a sinful way. But now, if it's a wrong thing because it's a sinful thing, Bible calls it wrong because Bible calls it sinful, then, then, we, then you have the freedom. Okay, let me be careful with how I answer this. You have the freedom to peacefully disobey. Not like how you're seeing, especially young people, okay, your age and, and young adults, college age people are, are disobeying today. That's not how you disobey. And you talk to them, what do they say? Oh, the Bible says that's wrong, it's sinful. That's why we're out here, we're just, you know, we're just, just doing all kinds of things. So really give it to them, really tell them. No, no, you, you, cannot, you cannot sin as you disobey a government that's sinning or making you sin, okay? If, if you can't disobey a government that's making you sin without sinning, then, then you have a problem. So, okay, so you have the freedom, okay, listen to me, you have the freedom to disobey in a what way? A peaceful way. There's a lot of examples in, in the Bible of people who, who were under much, much, much worse government authorities than we are today. And guess what? Our, ours is just, is just going to get worse until Jesus Christ comes back and sets up a perfect government, Right? a perfect government, until that day, we're going to be under governments who are becoming worse and worse. But in the Bible, you actually have governments who were much worse. Uh, what's a good example in the Old Testament? Of guys who obeyed because they said, oh yeah, that's wrong, but that's eh, preference, so we'll still obey. Oh, that's wrong because that's actually sinful. No, we will disobey peacefully. You guys remember an example? The Old Testament? Yes, Levi. Daniel, right? Daniel, right? Daniel, in the book of Daniel, right? Uh, their land gets conquered by Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, horrible man, right? Wicked, wicked nation, okay? They conquer, they conquer Israel. They, they take them to their land, Babylon, and then there's a group of fine young men, Dan Daniel and his friends, right? So get, they get taken, and King Nebuchadnezzar told his, uh, his, his officials, hey, I want you to find some fine men who will serve me. And then, you know, Daniel and his buddies, they get chosen, and then they change their names. You guys remember? They changed their names. And Daniel didn't protest. His buddies didn't go out and rioted. They didn't riot. And if you look at the meanings of their names, they're actually not good meanings of their names. They said, hey, it's just a name. <laughs> you know, it's just a name. It's fine. It's fine. And then, and then they, you know, they get chosen by, by, the, by King Nebuchadnezzar's officer. And then he says, you know, you guys are, are going to go through this training program, you know, and you guys, at the end, you guys need to be better, faster, stronger. You know, better, faster, stronger. Kind of like what I went through in high school in but it, I didn't come out better, faster, stronger. But um, that's kind of the program because we, we need young men to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. So you, I, we're going to give you a diet. You know, we believe that this keto diet is the best. You know, that will really help you with, you know, better, faster, stronger. And then they said, well, okay, I don't know if this is preference. I, I don't know if this is really sinful. 
they thought about it. It seems like it's a sinful thing because we do not eat the king's food and we do not drink wine. We're God's chosen people from Israel. And they were thinking about, you know, the commands in Leviticus about how Israelites were to eat and drink. And now this is a pagan, you know, nation who ate so different and drank wine to get drunk. And and they said, hey, officer, you know, we're going to appeal to you in a peaceful manner. We're going to appeal to you. Can you, can you just give us 10 days, 10 days, more than a week. Have us, you know, let us keep eating our diet of vegetables and water. And, and I think by God's grace, we will still come out better, faster, and stronger. And we will still be able and willing to serve your king, King Nebuchadnezzar, even, even though he's a pagan wicked king. And then the officer said, okay, you guys do that. Keep eating your veggies and and your water. And they did actually come out better than the other guys. Right? So they move on through the training and then they end up serving Daniel end up, end up serving the king. And then later on, king the king Nebuchadnezzar said, "You guys need to bow down to me. I am God. You need to worship me." And then Daniel again and his buddies, "Oh, man, this is different again. How should we think about this? Let's think about this." And then they thought about it probably searched the Old Testament, and then they, they went back and said, okay, this is where we draw the line. You're asking us to sin. We only bow down. We only worship the true and one living God, Yahweh himself. But we understand that your law also says if you do not do this, if you do not bow down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar, you, you will be killed, thrown in the lion's den. And then Daniel said, hey, that's fine. We're actually so confident about the one and true living God we bow down to and worship that he can rescue us. But, you know, if he does not rescue us, that's fine with us too. We are confident that he can rescue us, but it doesn't mean that he will rescue us. So throw us in lines then and, and we're fine. So they drew the line. So I think that's a, that's a helpful story because you get principles there. If, if the government is asking you to do something that's wrong before you jump into conclusions that would affect how you react, think about what is wrong with that. Is it wrong because it's, it's just, you know, it, it infringes with my preferences? You know, now there's no homeschooling? Well, you know, homeschooling is not, there's no chapter and verse about homeschooling. I, I'm, I'm fine. As a dad, I'll be okay, to, you know, to, for, for Arizona to say, no more, no more homeschooling. That's fine, right? So why is it wrong? Is it infringing with my preferences or is it wrong because it offends God? I'm really not the arbiter or, or the person who judges what's right and wrong, what's sinful and not sinful. Why should I disobey in a peaceful way right now? Well, because this offends God. My feelings, my preferences don't matter. I've been talking to some guys about, about firearms. You know, there's kind of this mentality, oh, you come try it, come take it. No, not humble, not Christian-like, not Christ-like. Oh, but it's Second Amendment, but is that a Christian right? No, that's not a Christian right, right? That's a, that's a I call that a um, temporary special privilege. It's temporary, it's special, it's a privilege. Enjoy it when you have it. It's, when it's taken away, 
Praise the Lord and move on to the next special temporary privilege. <laughs> it's fine. Is that, is that helpful? Okay, guys, be discerning. Don't look at what young people are doing today on the TV and say, ah, that's how you disobey. That's how you disobey the government. No, you go look at the Bible and you disobey when it's necessary in a, peace, in a peaceful way. Okay? Uh, good. Is that, is that good for now? Yeah. And again, it's going to be worse, you know, for, for me as a pastor and for you as Christians. It's going to get worse for us, but you just keep, you just keep looking forward to the Lord's second coming because then you'll really have a government that does everything perfectly. And guess what? Unbelievers during that time still won't bow the knee to Jesus Christ. That's how wicked we are. Right? I was thinking about that. Oh, if, if, if our government stays conservative, every, every, I'll just say it, a, a conservative Republican-ran government, oh, it'd be so great for all the churches. And I'm thinking, I don't know. No, I don't think it'll be good for all the churches. Um, a Republican conservative government is not our Messiah. That's not our salvation. That's not what grows the church. Um, the church is not dependent on the government. Actually, the, if you look at church history, the, the church grew even faster and stronger under governments who were wicked like, like the Babylonians. Um, but not until the second coming when Jesus sets up his kingdom. You have a perfect kingdom with a perfect king. And even then, because we are so sinful, we still won't abide. We still, we still won't obey. Uh, number three, good question here. How would you confront a friend who claims to be a Christian but does not show any fruit in their life? Good question. Here, here's how I would go about this. Listen to the question. How would you confront? So you got to think about how to what? How to what? Confront, right? You got to think about how to confront. This is not like, I'm just going to text this person, you know, copy and paste from Bible Gateway app, all these passages, boom, boom, boom. Yes, you're not a Christian. That's not how you confront, okay? How would you confront? So you got to be discerning. How do I confront? who claims to be a Christian, a friend, so this is a friend, okay? This is a friend who claims to be a Christian but does not show any fruit. So what, it, what else do you need to think about? Fruit. What, what do you mean fruit? Who gets to determine fruit? You, because of your preferences, or the Bible? The Bible. So learn how to confront. This is your friend, so you love this person, and you need to know what the true biblical spiritual fruits are. So, so here's how, how I go about it. Number one, I already said it, know, know what kinds of spiritual fruit a Christian must show. Where, where would you guys go? What's that, Kaylin? Galatians 5. Yeah, so write that down. Know what kinds of spiritual fruit a Christian, any Christian, your friend who professes to be a Christian, you who profess to be a Christian, other people who profess to be Christians, you need to know what kind of fruits, right? Number two, you need to examine yourself if you are actually living out those fruits, right? 
before you examine your friend. Examine yourself before you examine someone else. Examine yourself before you examine someone else. Okay, where would you go for that? The log and the speck. Matthew 7. Okay, that's another passage that you guys can write down. So Galatians 5, know the, the right spiritual fruit. Matthew 7, examine yourself before you examine your friend. Number three, know exactly what your friend needs to hear from you. Know exactly what your friend needs to hear from you. You may, you may know your friend because you're friends, but do you really know your friend? What your friend is going through? How he's feeling today? How, how her week has been? Is she going through any trial? Is he, did, did he face something that's just very difficult? You need to know those things because that's going to help you how you approach your friend. Where would you go for that? Learning about your friend, knowing where he or she is at, and then that helps you how to approach that friend. Any passage that, that rings to mind? Let me see how, she, how he's doing. Okay, let me see what she's going through. Okay, I probably shouldn't say that. I probably wouldn't say it that way because of how she is right now. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. You have an unruly friend. It says admonish that unruly friend, right? You have a weak friend. Help, help that friend. And you have, you have a discouraged friend, right? Encourage that friend. And then he says, with all of those types of people, with all of those types of friends, be patient with all of them, right? So you treat your friend with, with patience. So, so know where they, where they are. And if you're calling this a friend, you, you better be a friend and know where this person is at before you start, you know, bashing them with the Bible and, and you're uncareful how you you know, with your tone and delivery, um, know where they are. First Thessalonians 5.14. Here's the, f- the last one, number four. Present your concern, okay? And, and because you do have a concern. This is a friend. You know this friend. You see this friend on Wednesday night. You see this friend on Sunday morning. You go to the same homeschool co-op, right? You do Mozart together. And like, man, like I just don't see what this person is saying that she claims to have, which is salvation, faith, that, that she is a Christian, that she loves Jesus Christ. I just don't see it. I'm with this person five times a week. So that is a concern. So once you've gone through those three principles, now you, you can present your concern to your friend, but here's how you do it. In a clear, it has to be clear. Okay? And you get clarity from the Bible. In a clear but or I'd say end, because I think you need to have both, clarity, clear and gentle way. You need to be gentle. Any passage that talks about confronting someone in the spirit of gentleness? Yeah. Galatians 6.1. Good job, Katie. Actually, go there. So make sure you have Galatians 5, Matthew 7, 1 Thess 5.14, and this is the last one. When you actually go to your friend, and you're ready to confront and say, hey, I've been watching you, and I've been looking at the Bible, and things are not matching up. Are you really a Christian? Right? So this is now your concern. Look at Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, so this has to be a clear, known issue. This is not just yeah, I, I guess, I guess, you know, I, I, I guess we can, 
correct that person. Yeah, let's go correct that person. And you, you, haven't, you don't really know if this person is in a trespass or, 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 or having an issue. So, so Paul says here, it has, to be, it has to be a known issue, a trespass. And then he says, you who are spiritual. That's why I include Matthew 7, right? Getting the log out of your own, own eye first. So you who are spiritual, make sure you, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're better than this friend. It just means that you're spiritual. You're thinking about spiritual things and you know what spirituality looks like according to Galatians 5. You who are spiritual, here it is, restore such a one. This is that word of like chiropractic doctors do, like putting into place, like Garrett's shoulder, like you put it back into place. <laughs> That's that word. You, do you just like, do you just like, oh, put it back in there. Yeah, I've restored this friend. No, you don't do that, right? You don't do that. You don't do that. How do you do it? Paul says, in, a, in the spirit of gentleness. So with this friend, you be clear with your concern. This friend needs to know that the friends around her or him have a concern that she says she's a Christian, but she's showing no fruit. That's a legitimate concern, okay? So you friends around this friend, don't be embarrassed and shy and ashamed and fearing man to do that. But before you do that, you got to go through that. But when, once you get to that conversation, you need to do it in a clear way. Here's why. And you, do, you need to do it in a gentle way. Put yourself in their shoes. Right? How would you want to be treated? So, is that, is that helpful? But, but listen, you do need to confront. <laughs> okay? You do need to confront. But be clear about the confrontation and be gentle in the confrontation. Good? Um, if, uh, if this is a more of an ongoing conversation with this friend, um, you, can, uh, you can, I think it's now an, a new uh, rendition of it. It's, it's called Only Jesus by John MacArthur. It's a small book, and it just talks about how, how a person gets saved and how a person knows he's saved. So give that as a gift to, to your friend. Only Jesus. When people call our church from, from the outside and, and I meet with them over the phone and I'm sharing the gospel with them, I just Amazon Prime them this, this book. Um, short, clear. So, only Jesus. Next, next question. How can you practice patience with schoolmates or siblings who are being irritating on purpose? <laughs> How can you practice patience so this person knows what he needs to do? Patience with schoolmates or siblings who are being irritating on purpose. That, that's a great question. Again, you need to think about what this person is doing that, and why it irritates you. If it irritates you just because you don't like it, you know, an example would be this, a person who's obnoxious and annoying, loud voice, you know, He's just, you know, she's just not like you. You know, you're like little petite, quiet, you know, um, very gentle, mellow. And then this friend is like just, you know, 
just loud and just, you know, always up here. There's no middle, and you're kind of like here. You think you're average, right? You think you're the standard. Um, If that irritates you, then develop a thick skin, love that person, actually actually push yourself toward that person. Don't, don't, don't avoid that person. Actually push yourself to the, to the, uh, toward that person and continue to be patient with that person. It's just a preference thing. <laughs> it's just a preference thing. Should you confront Galatians 6.1? No, you don't. That's not a trespass. <laughs> you know, that's not a trespass that you need to confront. You just be patient. First Thessalonians 5.14, be patient with all. It's a preference thing. That person is just not like you. doesn't mean he's better. doesn't mean you're better. You're just wired differently. You know, they sh- he shops at a different store. You shop at this store. You know, you, you're homeschooled. He's not homeschooled. You know, it, it's just, you know, those things can irritate you. I get that. But those things are not, are not um, uh, a source of division. Now, if it's something that offends God or other people, right, and because it offends God and other people, now that irritates you, then you need to confront, you need to talk to this person. Like somebody who, um, who uses profanity, right? You're not going to overlook that and say, oh, that's just how he's wired, <laughs> you know. That's just how he is, you know. That's, that's fine. I just need to be patient. No, you say, okay, that offends God, number one. Yes, I can feel the irritation because I don't like hearing those words, right? And I can see that the other people in the group are, are now being offended and irritated by that. Okay, I need to confront this person, but you still do it with what? Gentleness and patience. Yeah. What's that? Anybody. If, if somebody is profane with their speech, you need to confront, believer or be, professing believer or an unbeliever. Yeah. Yes? Do you think you should always wait to see, like, a pattern of that trespass if they are coming It depends. Yeah, if somebody, you know, says a, a curse word, I'm going to talk to that person right then and there. Right then and there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can talk to that person and say, "What do you mean by that?" Oh, it's just you know, it's just a thing that I say. You know, I don't. Sometimes I don't even know I say it. When you say, "Well, there's there's a better way of expressing your excitement, or a better way of expressing your whatever you're trying to express when you say that phrase," because that's actually not pleasing to God. I wouldn't say, oh, that really irritates me. You know, can you please not say that around me? Then, then because, because it becomes about who? About you. Yes, Ms. Julie. What's the frequency? Yeah, that's a good question. When, when, how often? Um, I would say this is kind of how uh, my old, one of my old pastors uh, f- phrased it, and I think it's helpful because there's no chapter and verse about that. I would say, what would mercy do? 
Okay, what would mercy do? It, it, um, what would be the merciful thing for this person right now? So, so you got to think about the context. You got to think about what he just said. You got to think about what he just did. You got to think about the people the, uh, who are present. Um, if it's just me and him and I've confronted him about this, this, this issue um, and I can tell that he's working on it and then he kind of just slipped up and then he said a bad word, I'm not going to confront. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine not confronting. I can see that he's, he's starting to work on it. And it's just me, you know, and I, you know, I, I won't confront. If, if, he, if, he, if it happens again, right, and it's a different context, and, and I feel like, okay, the most merciful thing for this person is not to overlook it again, but to confront, then I'd confront. I think there's freedom for you to do that. But the, the, the point is that you do it in a gentle way, and you're patient all the time. You're patient all the time. Yes, Grace. I guess it depends on what they're doing or saying. Right, and they're not, and they're not listening to your confrontation. Yeah. But yeah, I'd confront in private. You don't want to confront in in public because that's embarrassing. You know, that's embarrassing. So I'd confront, I'd confront, 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 overlook, 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 and then if there, if you can stay away from that person, and that doesn't affect your education, doesn't affect your God-given responsibilities, it doesn't affect your job, then then you have the freedom to be away from that person for some time. Yeah, that's fine. You can, you can ignore it. You should ignore it to some level, but think about it. It's not about me. It's not about what irritates me. It's about what offends God. That's why I am mustering everything that I have deep inside of me, and I hate con- confrontation, but I need to do it because it offends God. This needs to be talked about, right? So that's, that's what motivates you to talk to somebody in a con- confronting way because you care about God's glory. Okay. Yeah. Say, say that a little bit louder. If they're not a, a godly influence, uh, I'd say be a godly influence to that person. And if you need to be in that context, let's say, you know, and this will happen to you guys, so you need to start practicing this. This, this is going to happen to you when you start college, especially when you go in the workplace. You cannot say, I'm, I'm clocking out, and your boss is like, hey, you can't clock out. You, you got you know, you to talk to these people over the phone, or you got to sell two more cars. No, I'm done, you know, because I heard a bad word, or I keep hearing a bad word from, from you know, Joey over there. Um, I'm a Christian, no, I can't, I can't work. You, you can't do that. So you got to look at the context. If it's, if, it's, if it's a context where you can withdraw without being irresponsible of your responsibilities and displeasing to the Lord because you just want a comfortable surrounding, then, then you can't do that. You need to stay in there, but you need to be a good influence. You need to confront. You need to be a good influence with gentleness and patience. Okay? 
Good? Yeah. Sorry. No, it's okay. Unbelievers? It depends on your motive. If you want to confront them because you just want their behaviors to change to, so, that, so that your circle of friends will have a moral comfort level to it, then, then no. But if you confront because you want your friend to be saved, then go, go have at it. Again, with gentleness and patience. Because guess what? Does Jesus confront you? Yes. Jesus confronts me. God confronts me all the time. Every time I open my Bible, every time I preach to you, every time I go to the main service and sit under Pastor Scott's preaching, I get confronted all the time. But, but the Holy Spirit does it in a gentle way, and the Holy Spirit is very super gentle and patient with me. So that's how you would want to treat other people, believers and unbelievers. But again, young people, confront though, okay? You need to be brave. You need to be courageous. You're a Christian, okay, if you call yourself a Christian. All right. Ah, I might do less than I did last Sunday. Um, oh, this is a good one. Look into college. Look into college. What is the best way to prioritize time and balance everything? Great question. Look into college, you know, the seniors, going to college in just a few weeks, a couple months. Um, and this also applies to those who, of you who are not going to college yet. This applies to me. I actually came up with this principle um, when I was in, you know, when I was later in college, sadly. I didn't, you know, when I was in college, I was a lazy bum. Um, I didn't get saved till after college. So after college, I still thought about being, being faithful and balanced um, and prioritizing my time. So here's how I think about this. Okay, and this applies to all of you. Think in big categories. Okay, think in big categories. You have God-given responsibilities, and those God-given responsibilities, some of them stay the same, from the day you get saved all the way to the day you die, and some of them change. Some of them gets t t get taken away. Some of them get added on. Okay, you have God-given responsibilities. On the other side, you have, I would call, uh, special privileges. And same thing, right? Uh, our, our daughter, who's eight, we give her special privileges. But guess what? When she's 28... Some, a lot of those special privileges are not going to be there anymore. But she may have new ones also. So you have God-given responsibilities and you have special privileges. Your God-given responsibilities are given to you by who? By God, right? Your special privileges are also given to you by who? By God, right? So that helps me. And I think it will help you, especially when you're in college, how to prioritize your time and how to be balanced. I always ask young people, you know, how many hours do you get in a day? And your answer is 24 hours. And then I would ask, you know, maybe um, the older saints like Mr. Plummer, the seasoned saints, how many, how many hours in a day does he get? 24 hours, right? And sometimes young people are like, man, how, he, how, how does he do so much, you know? He reads his Bible in the morning. He, he reads his Bible to his kids. You know, he reads his Bible to his wife. He works 40 to 50 to 60 hours a day, you know, out, outside. I mean, a, a week, a week. 
Yeah, that's impossible. Everybody gets 24 hours a day, but then for some reason, somebody gets you know, to put in 50-hour workday. Um, you know, and, and he does all of that. And then he's not perfect, but he's faithful in balance. And he has his priorities right. How, how, but I can't do that. Well, I'm, I'm young. That, that's why I, I guess I'll get there when I'm older. No, that's a lie. Right? So I want you guys to th- start thinking about that. You have God-given responsibilities. Um, I just named some. Knowing God's word. Becoming more like Christ. Loving your local church. Okay? Investing in your relationships. Okay? Old ones and new ones. And number five, excelling in your study. Those are God-given responsibilities. Yeah. Yes, so you have knowing God's word, becoming like Jesus Christ, loving your local church, investing in your relationships, and excelling in your study. Studies. So those are God-given responsibilities. Guess what? If you're a Christian, God has given you the Holy Spirit the, the will and the ability to be faithful in all those responsibilities. Will you be perfect? No. But can you do them? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So now you enter a, bi- a very busy season of life, like college, right? Like me, when I was in seminary, like Mr. Daniel, Mr. Chris, they're in seminary, they have kids, they, you know, he has kids, he, he's starting, he's, he started a family and now, and now they're, they're growing in that. So, so, for, for, for a seminary student like how I was, I, I, I just needed to keep reminding myself, okay, I have God-given responsibilities. And I can be and should be and want to be faithful in all of them. Right? And now I'm entering a very, very busy season of life. Now here's, how I, here's my advice. Look at your, your special privileges and see which ones you can what? Increase, you think? Or sacrifice. Sacrifice. So, again, these are also from God. These are special, very special. These are not rights, guys. And these are from God. And these are special. And these are privileges. They're not, they're not, they're not rights. Not every Christian even gets to have your special privileges. So, here are some, some things that I put down. Sleep and rest. Sleep and rest, extracurricular activities, hobbies and sports, entertainment. Oh, that is not a right, guys. That is a very special privilege from God. Entertainment and then anything else that is outside the Bible that you get to enjoy for a time. So that's how I balance um, and try to prioritize. Again, I'm, I'm... I'm not perfect. I've, I fail in, in, in that, how to prioritize and balance. But that helps me a lot, especially when you're entering a very busy season of life. And young people, do not avoid, do not run away, do not shy away from busy seasons of life because that's when the Lord is really going to grow you, like, like college. But guess what? In college... Your heart is going to be tempted to dive into special privileges. And that's fine. But then you're going to hold on to the special privileges that you've had. And now you're adding more to it. You're adding more to it. And then guess what happens to your God-given responsibilities? They just kind of get pushed aside. 
And then you look back, you know, when you have your job after college, you look back and you're like, man, I wasted my college years. Why, why, why is that? Well, because I was unfaithful to my God-given responsibilities because my special privileges just kind of took over. Good? You need to know God's word. You need to become more like Christ. You need to love the church where you're going to be. Okay, you need to invest in your relationships and you, and you need to excel in your study. Everything else, special privilege that can be sacrificed for a time and some of them for, for good. And that's fine. That is fine. It's funny because I, I found a show on Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's called The Most Dangerous Ways to School. <laughs> and... Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit, you know, it's not as extreme of, you know, my upbringing in the Philippines, but I make, I make Toby and Ruthie watch it, you know, because they're homeschooled. They're like, all you got to do is wake up, you know, and, and then your breakfast is ready and you start school. Look at these kids, you know, they're walking like two hours a day, um, but they're fine, right? They're fine. They have other God-given special privileges that we don't have. That's fine. But we're all called as Christians to our God-given responsibilities. Don't, those things, I call them non-negotiables. They do not move, whether you're busy or not. Those things do not move. Okay? Next question. Uh, is it okay for us that we're almost adults, I'm assuming 18, That's another discussion. <laughs> Is it okay for us, now that we're almost adults, to ask our parents politely why they are asking us to do certain things? Answer, yes. Or should we just obey without asking? Yes. That's fine. You have the freedom to. I, but it, go, it goes back to your heart motives. Why do you want to ask? Why do you want to ask? Well, I really want to make sure that I do the right thing the exact way they're asking me to do so that it would be pleasing to them and ultimately glorifying to God. There you go. Go ask away. Ask away. But if you're saying, yeah, I just, you know, it, you know, sometimes you ask, but you really are making a statement. You guys ever do that with your parents? But you give it in a question way, but you're actually giving a statement. You know, you're actually voicing out your opinion, but in a question manner. I'm sure your parents can see through that. Um, if, it's, if it's from a, a wrong motive of the heart, questioning their authority or, you know, whatever, then just, you know, take that to the Lord, ask the Lord, but still obey. Okay? Guess what? Even when you are an adult, there are some ways to still honor and obey your parents. <laughs> this is not like, man, we're almost adults. Ah, uh, yes, I'm not going to ask, just obey, just obey. Okay, I'm an adult now, but it's still kind of 18, 19. That's still kind of not an adult, but now I'm going to ask, ask, ask. But still obey, still obey. Okay, I'm 19. No more asking, no more obeying. No, that's not what the Bible says. But guys, it's fine to ask. Ask your parents. And sometimes that turns into a great conversation. Great conversation. You know, something... Some, something so small that they keep asking you to do and you didn't really know why and now they tell you why and it's really for your good and for God's glory um, and you're like, wow, this really motivates me to even obey more. 
you know, so ask, but just watch over your heart. Okay. Um, this is long. Well, it could be the last one. It sounds like it's from a senior. What are some spiritual qualities to look for in a significant other? <laughs> what aspects of, that's a part, part one. Part two, what aspects of Christianity are vital to be believed, to even consider someone? Okay, this is a dating scenario. For example, what if he agrees with everything I believe in except healings and tongues? Okay, so doctrinal issues, theological issues, interpretation issues. Um, so I love the question because I get asked this a lot, and I, if you, I'll give you a, hopefully a brief answer, but I have a ton of stuff that my pastor friends have put together, that I've put together. Um, I did a relationship series, I don't know, four years ago or something. We've been here five years early on. Um, we have that. We have a lot of stuff that you can get your hands on. Um, I'm not going to get into this, but, but you really need to know when you need to start looking into this next season of your life. This is not for everybody, okay? So I just want to put it out there, right? So yes, learn from these principles, but I'm not saying, okay, go, go date, you know, today. <laughs> no. Um, but this is for people who are ready for that, and that's another, that's another session, what it means to be, to be ready. Because he, here's, how I, here's how I've developed over the years. And I, I, again, I didn't, I didn't have this when I started dating. I didn't have this when I met Leslie. I didn't have this when we got engaged. I didn't have it when we got married. You know, this took over, the, took, uh, it, this took over many years of, in the works. I, this is how I define dating. Dating is, is testing a friendship, okay, to see if that friendship has a proven readiness proven readiness to take on the God-given responsibilities. Keep, keep coming back. Man, I can't get away from God-given responsibilities. To, to, to test the proven readiness of a friendship if it's ready to take on the God-given responsibilities of what? What do you guys think? Marriage. That's why I'm not really into like, okay, that's 18, that's 20, that's 17. I'm not really into putting numbers and years on that, but it has to be a friendship, old, new, developing, doesn't matter. Friendship that will that that will uh, that 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 is um, that is ready to be tested if they have proven readiness for taking on the God-given responsibilities of marriage. And God-given responsibilities of marriage has two two prongs to it. You have you have the practical or physical, you know, like the husband providing those things, and then the spiritual, you know, the husband leading, the wife, you know, supporting all those things. Those are the God-given responsibilities. So when you think you're ready for that, when your parents think that you're ready for that, when your pastor and leaders in church and all your your friends think that you're ready for that, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but they're starting to see that you might be ready for that then here's, here are some qualities that you can start looking for. And first of all, I want you guys to think about these qualities as you guys need to be first before you start looking for the other person's qualities. Okay? In dating, like should attract alike. <laughs> so if you want a godly young man, what do you need to do first? 
Be a godly young woman, right? Be a godly young woman. So for, here's my list for the guys, okay? I had like 15, but I, had, I, I only have five, okay? Um, the list for the guys. So guys, this is what you need to be working on right now. And girls, this is what you would be looking for when you're ready, okay? Number one, this young man demonstrates masculinity and courage. Encourage a courageous, masculine young man. Not, not, not muscly, like muscles, okay? But how God, how the Bible defines masculinity, okay? This is not, this, this is not like, oh, he has to be an athlete. No, <laughs> no. That's not necessarily a masculine man. So 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, okay? We won't go to these passages. I want you guys to look them up later. Number two, that's 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Okay, the act like men uh, passage. Number two, he promotes and protects women's purity. He promotes it and he protects it. Women's purity, 1 Timothy 5.2. Okay? I'll go fast and I'll just give them to you because we're running out of time. Number three, he practices self-control and self-restraint. So self-control, he, he controls himself so that he, so he doesn't fall into temptations. Self-restraint, he restrains himself from doing too much or idolizing special privileges <laughs> like entertainment, you know, like all those things. And it sucks up his, his time and energy away from his God-given responsibilities. So he practices self-control and self-restraint. That's Titus 2.6. That's that word group of being sensible. Older man, teach the younger man to be what? Sensible. That's self-control language, self-restraint language. Number four, he submits to his church pastors and elders. He submits to his church pastors and elders. That's 1 Peter 5, 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. Younger men, likewise, right? In humility, be submissive to your spiritual leaders. And guess what? That's hard for young men to do. But if a guy is so proud and he, he balks and, and runs away from church leadership, you do not look at that guy. <laughs> you run away, actually. You run away. And then number five, he loves like Jesus Christ loves the church. That's how he loves people. He loves others. He loves his church. He loves his families. He loves people in, in the church, just like Jesus Christ loves the church. That's Ephesians 5.25. Again, this young man doesn't have to have all these things down perfect. He will never get these things down perfect, but you need to start seeing what I call raw materials. Raw materials. Okay, in, in seed forms, you see them. Okay, he, he seems like he loves... Other people like Jesus Christ love the church. That's a good quality. It's in raw form, in seed form, but that, that's going to be, man, give, put, put, that five, put, put five years on that. Man, that's just, that's going to be a great leader. You know, he's, he knows biblical masculinity and he's courageous with the truth. He confronts with, with gentleness and, and, and patience. Man, that's, that's a good, good raw material. So here's the list for the ladies. Number one, she pursues discretion over beauty. 
And I know you guys don't, word that, uh, don't use that word anymore, discretion, but it's all over Proverbs, and it, most of the time it, it is in clear direction toward women, right? She pursues discretion over beauty. Proverbs 11.22, this is a memory verse for, for all of you. Um, Proverbs 11.22, right? Like a gold ring on a pig's nose... So is a woman who lacks discretion, right? (laughs) That's pretty to the point from Solomon, right? And remember, Solomon was helping his young sons pretty much how to look for a young lady for marriage. And he says, hey guys, like a gold ring on a pig's nose, so is a woman, who lacks discretion, doesn't matter how pretty she is on the outside. If she lacks discretion or discernment, knowing, knowing things from right and wrong and truth and error and making decisions that's pleasing to God, if she doesn't have that, not good. Number two, she values the fear of the Lord over charm. Another, another memory verse. You guys know where this is from in Proverbs? She values the fear of the Lord over charm, being charming and cute and, you know, uh, where is that? Proverbs 31, 30. Okay. Charm is what? Solomon says. Not Solomon, the, 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 the author of uh, King Lemuel. Uh, deceitful. What does that mean? Is, the, is, he, is he saying that charm and being pretty, being cute and beautiful is sinful? No. He's just saying that young ladies, you are going to be so tempted to deceive people, especially young men, especially in this season of life, okay, to deceive people that you are someone that you're really not and you hide that secret life, whether, whether it's a life of, of not being a Christian, whether it's life of impurity, whether it's life of whatever that's sinful, you're, you're going to be tempted to hide that and deceive people with what? With your charm, with your prettiness and beauty. Oh, that, I'm not a woman, but I've talked to a lot of women. That is a huge temptation for you young women. And all of you are beautiful, all of you are pretty, and that's going to be a temptation to hide something that is wicked and sinful in here with your charm. And then young men are going to be like, oh, you know, she attends church. You know, she carries her Bible. She says she's a Christian. Man, I need, I need to pursue that young lady. But deep down, you're hiding something. And it's easy for you to hide. And you're actually prone to hide it because you're beautiful. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain, right? But the, a woman who fears the Lord, she is worthy to be what? Praise. She is worthy to be pursued. I would, I would you know, translate it that way. If, if a young lady is fearing the Lord and you're ready for marriage, man, um, be the first one in line. Worthy to be praised because she fears the Lord. Number three, she adorns herself with modesty and good works. Right? That's from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, in the middle there, verses 9 and 11, 9 and 10, 1 Timothy chapter 2. She, uh, she adorns herself. She's not, you know, she doesn't show up in sackcloth and, you know, 
Like, it does, that, that's not what it means. You know, it's okay to be pretty. It's okay to be, to be dressed up. But, but, but Peter say, uh, Paul is saying there that she needs to be modest and she actually needs to adorn herself with what? With good works. That's what makes a young lady beautiful and, uh, and adorned because she has what? Good works. Good works. Yes. That is 1 Timothy chapter 2, I believe, verse 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10. Number four, she loves learning about family and home life. She loves learning about family and home life. And, you know, Pastor Scott's pre- preaching through Proverbs right now. You're going to start noticing once we get to chapter 5, I think we start that this morning, chapter 6, chapter 7, you know, the, the, the uh, lady folly, you know, the, the woman who deceives, right, and tempts the young, the young man into sexual immorality. One of, one of the uh, qualities, bad qualities of that lady folly is that she does not like to stay at home. She does not like to stay at home. Now, I'm not taking that literally. You know, I'm not saying that out of the 24 hours, you know, 12 hours, you need to be at home. I'm not saying that. But young women, young ladies, this is another temptation when you get to college and, and, and on that you're going to want to be outside of the home be, so that you can get all the freedom that you want, so that you can do a- anything and everything that you want to do and explore the world and all of its idols I'm sure you know some women like that right now. Don't be that. You need to love family and you need to love home life. That's Titus chapter 2, right? Chap- chapter 2 there. Older women teach the younger women, right? To love their husbands and their children. And to learn how to be faithful in the home life. It doesn't mean that you never work. It doesn't mean you don't go to college. You know, don't listen to that. That's a lie. It just means that, that you... You, you feel fulfilled, okay, and you, and you receive God's maximum blessing when you stay where the Lord wants you to be, and that is loving your family and, and being faithful to a, 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 a godly home life. Another temptation, charm is a temptation, and, and, and Proverbs says, you know, a woman whose feet does, you know, do not stay at home, that's another temptation. Number five, last one, she submits like the church submits to Jesus. That's the parallel, you know, the contrast in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 24. She submits like the church submits to Jesus. And this is, again, you know, you've been to weddings here. This doesn't mean that the guy says something, the woman just submits. It doesn't, doesn't mean that it's to follow a godly leader. So you take the five qualities, what I call raw materials. You need to see them a little bit. Right? And some are going to be more obvious than others, but you want to see a little bit of those things in the guy, and you need to see some of the raw materials in the, in the, in the young lady. Uh, you take all, five, all, all ten, and I sum it down to one quality, and that is humility. Right? If a person is humble, then a person can be taught, number one, and a person can become like Jesus Christ. Okay, all of those things, right? Submitting to church, Pastors and elders, loving like Jesus Christ, self-control, self-restraint, protecting women's purity, courage, discretion over beauty, fear of the Lord, right? Good works, family, home life, submits like the church, submits to Jesus. All those things can be summed up in a humble, humble disposition. So now let's get to the, the, 
let's get to that other question then. What aspects of Christianity are vital to be believed to even consider someone? I would just say the, non, the, the non-negotiables, the essentials, okay? You have, to be, you have to be solid and united when it comes to how a person gets saved, right? You need to be solid and united when, when it comes to how a person grows, sanctification, right? And then you need to be solid and united where you're going to go to church, okay? Where are you going to go to church and serve, I would say those three primarily, and then other, other non-negotiables, essentials, we call them sometimes. So when it comes to the other question, what if he agrees with everything I believe in except healings and tongues? If he is humble and if he is teachable, it's up to you. <laughs> it's up to you. I think you have freedom. I think you have freedom. You know, I would call those non-negotiables, you know, secondary issues, you know, eschatology, right, different uh, different uh, views on eschatology. Uh, spiritual gifts is, is this, you know, tongues and, tongues and, um, and healings. It's really up to you. You know, do you want to take that on? And if you're saying, yeah, you know, I see all the raw materials. We're in a good church, and he's being discipled. He wants to be discipled. He's open to being taught. Then I don't see a problem. But if he's proud... Right, and he wants to teach people those things, and you don't agree with those things. I'd probably wait. It's okay. It's okay to wait. You know, look at the next option. It's fine. You have the freedom to do that. But he, ha- if he has all those raw materials and summed up in humility, and a humble person is a very teachable person, and who will become like Jesus Christ more and more. You have the freedom to say, okay, I think, I think I am okay to take this on. With the help of your parents and your pastors and, and leaders, you have the freedom to do that. If you say, no, I don't, I don't think so, you have the freedom not to also. That's fine. That's okay. So, and it depends too. You know, ask them, what do you mean tongues and healings? Like, do you say that a Christian can't be a Christian if he doesn't speak in tongues and if he says yes that's what I'm saying and you just say I don't know you know next (laughs) (laughs) you know because then that he's going to demand that from you you know so and then he's going to say we need to go to this specific church and you're like well I don't know so good I'm out of time Uh, I have more, but I hope that's uh, helpful to you guys. I trust that that uh, you are going to look up all of those passages that I gave you, and if you missed any, let me know. Um, if you want, you know, a ton of materials for summer reading about dating, uh, let me know. I'll email it to you guys. It'll, it'll take like multiple emails because there there are a lot of them, uh, but I'll email it to you guys. I want you guys to to learn, okay, and be prepared. So let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, how it teaches us and how it gives us principles even uh, so that we can live a life that's glorifying to you and helpful to other people and loving to those who are around us. So be with these students. uh, Bless them. I pray that they would apply what we just talked about, and I pray that they would grow in Christ's likeness. In his name we pray, amen.